0: Let's turn this upside down and, and think about what is grace's responsibility or how can you connect, what is the bridge uh, that you can relate to and help with a ministry like ours or other ministries that are locally in the Memphis area. And so I want to turn your attention away from the big picture and down to what, do you, what should you do, how do you relate to missionaries and missions people? So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to this tiny little book, Way at the back of your Bible, you find Revelation. Turn the page before is Jude. The page before is 3 John. And you have those three little books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And I want to read through this whole text. And then we'll talk about what can you do or what are your marching orders. This is a very appropriate song, So Send I You. I really had a marching beat to it if you caught that at the end there. And uh, that was very clever, Jim, of tying that in with mission marching orders for the local church. All right, we're going to begin. I'm, is it okay if I use the NIV? Is that what you folks use a lot? It's it's still sanctified? Okay. We're going to start with... Uh, I'm going to read Third John out of the NIV. If you have something different, try to follow along if you can. And it begins very simply, The elder, to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth... Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along. Do we ever stop and think about that with one another? Sometimes I have two close friends and they ask me, Steve, what's going on with your soul? Not just my health, not just my attitude, not my emotions, but what's going on with my soul? Good point here, dear elder. And he shares that. We'll move on verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some of the brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth. And how you continue to walk in the truth. And here's a favorite verse of parents, but it means it goes far beyond. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Of course, the elder is talking about his spiritual children, like Gaius. And now verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. And we there for to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come... I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. And not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius, now this is a different guy with a... Letter D, Demetrius, is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Well, we want to begin with uh, who is this? Elder, I apologize for the picture, you know, in those days their cameras did not have very good resolution. And so this picture of John looks a little bit uh, fuzzy, but you sort of get the idea. Historically, we assume or we have good reason to believe that the author of this book was our beloved John, who the name comes from. He started following Jesus as a teenager, probably about age 16 or so, when he was a disciple of Christ. He was a hothead with a temper. So with his brother and James, these two were called the sons of thunder. He was self-seeking and arrogant. It was probably his mom's idea, but maybe not. He sought the highest seat of power with Jesus. He had a simple education, and as an early profession, he was a fisherman. From being a fisherman, we know that uh, he worked very hard. He worked long hours. He was probably very robust. And he was an outdoorsman. But though he had a simple education, John was brilliant, and he wrote for us five of our books in the New Testament. Two of them are very difficult to understand, John and Revelation, he was no simpleton. His life was transformed when he dropped his fishing business and began following Jesus, and then he joined, was invited into the inner circle of Jesus. We know about Peter, James, and John. He saw the transfiguration when Jesus' clothing was not just brilliant white but light. And when he saw Moses and Elijah, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Sat next to Jesus the Last Supper. He was the only disciple present at the crucifixion. He was the first to run to the empty tomb. And it says, then he entered, he saw and believed, but he wasn't sure what really took place. It was Peter and John that were the first arrested for preaching about this resurrected Jesus. And then later in life, John's main area of ministry is in the country that we now call Turkey. And so he was in central Turkey, which would be the Cappadocia area, a strong, for centuries, strong heritage of Christian faith. And then probably he was the primary one overseeing what in Revelation we call the seven churches of Revelation. And perhaps John was the bishop overseeing them. Throughout his ministry, it was his habit to always train young men and then send them out as missionaries, as evangelists, to go to other places. And his expectation was that churches would host these people and treat them as the kind of people that they were, sent from the Lord, called by God, sent by John. I would imagine that John was present, probably standing right at the front of the group when Jesus uttered his great commission that we all know from the first chapter of Acts. And that's when Jesus said that you are to be my witnesses, and you know this sequence, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the remotest or to the ends of the earth. Now some people think this is consecutive, like throwing a stone in in a pond and the ripple effect is first you address people's needs and you preach the gospel in Jerusalem and when you've finished there... Then you go on to the next place, which is your community, so maybe Shelby County. That's your Judea. And then you go beyond that into to Samaria, people who are somewhat different. And when you've finished that, then you can think about the ends of the earth. Well, that's not what the sentence means. It means that you must be my witnesses in Jerusalem at the same time in Judea, at the same time in Samaria, and at the same time to the ends of the earth. How do you do that? You cannot be more than one place at a time. And so the way we are witnesses in this is we have representatives and we have ambassadors. We have sent ones from our membership or sent ones we adopt to be those that are sent out. And so John understood it. He knew that that was the role and the obligation of the church. And all of his life he'd been teaching this. Now here he is, an old man maybe in his 70s by this point or so, and he's finding a church that just doesn't get it. In fact, the leader of the church is opposed to this whole idea and is somewhat threatened by it. Are you one of those churches or are you one of those Christians that just doesn't quite yet get your role in missions? That's what we want to talk about today, is what is the church's role in missions, and what is the church's marching orders today? Now, having said all of that, would you please stand with me for a moment, and let's ask God to continue to speak to you, to speak through me, to anoint this church as he has, so that we might walk in faithful obedience. Father, we come before you this morning, looking at a very simple little passage, with two characters as examples or choices for us. And for most people here, we can hardly relate to what's going on around the other side of the world. China is a place far away, Africa, South America. And we're busy and we're preoccupied and consumed by what's going on here. But help us this morning, God, to see our role in a new way beyond what's close, beyond what constantly calls for our attention. And help us to be a church, a people that embraces your great commission and is blessed through it. Anoint us now with your presence, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Rather than start at the beginning, let's look at verse 9 in your Bible. And this is a guy that just didn't quite get it. One of the themes of missions is opposition. And when we think of opposition, we think of resistance to the gospel and difficulties somewhere else, over there, overseas, in some other culture with some other language issue. But here is opposition right at home in the local church. And the one who is opposed to them is this guy Diotrephes, or we might call him Big D. And one of the amazing things is when John sent these visitors, he calls them strangers. That is, they are not church members, not people known. But when John would send his disciples as strangers to this church, this guy was somehow threatened by them and would gossip maliciously about those who came. What was it that bugged him so much about I think he was threatened by them because it says he loved to be first, in verse 9. And these people perhaps had trump cards that could embarrass him or speak of uh, ministries and things that they were doing that uh, seemed to be more significant or more important than him. Rather than support and encourage them, he opposed them. In fact, he found out who liked them, guys like Gaius, and then kick those people out of the church. So here is how not to do it. It is how to not be a follower of Christ or a church that has it right. Let's look at the church that's doing it, getting it right. And so we'll back up to verses 5 to 8. And here's where we find out what the church's marching orders are in missions. Now, here's what I'd like to do. There are eight things I'm going to identify in this little passage, verses 5 to 8, and I'm not going to talk about all eight of them. I'll just highlight them, and then I'm going to back up and address one or two of them, depending on our time, to help you get a sense of what is it that we should be doing as a local church in terms of embracing, engaging with, supporting our missionaries. In other words, what is our role? What should be our correct response to missions? So let's start looking through these verses. We'll begin at verse 5. And John writes to him, Dear friend, you are faithful. Here's the first thing. The first aspect of the church in terms of its relationship with missions and missionaries is to be faithful. This is what it's all built on. Secondly, he says, You're faithful in what you are doing For the brothers, and so there is activity or action to be faithful and next to be action. Take initiative. Don't wait. Get involved. Connect. Third one. He says you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers even though they are strangers to you. Here's our third word, strangers. Now, I don't particularly like this word. Uh, It says that the missionaries that are coming are strangers or oddballs or strange maybe. Of course, we a lot of times think that. Uh, Who in the world would want to give up what they're doing and go somewhere else where you don't know what people are talking about, you don't know how to do things, and you suddenly default into being like a second-grade child when you're an adult? Uh, It takes an odd people to be willing to do those kinds of things. So maybe the term is a little bit appropriate, but I prefer we'll call this missionaries instead of strangers. Moving on, the next thing he says is they have told, that is these visitors, have told the church about your love. So to be loving is this next area. Loving in what way? It's sacrificial to the extent that this church did it so well that these missionaries bragged about them. Continue in verse 6. You'll do well to send them on their way. So sending is our next key word. Two aspects to this. He says, send them in a manner worthy of God, that is, with dignity, out of concern, recognizing a holy calling that they have. And then next, verse 7, he says, it was for the sake of the name that they went out. And so they are God's representatives. It is not about the missionaries. It is not about the work. It is about God and his honor and his glory. And that's who we want to lift up. The next one is verse 7b, the last part of verse 7. is He said, they received no help from the pagans or the people on the receiving end. And that's appropriate. That's how it should be. But we should have help from the senders. And so this church was a helping church. That's our next word. What kind of help? Well, it can be all kinds of things, from financial to correspondence. Just to drop a note, to say, hey, I'm praying for you. I know about you. I'm keeping up. It can be care packages. You could go visit. That is a big source of encouragement many times, too. And the next one, he says, we ought therefore to show hospitality, verse 8, to such men as these. And so what is hospitality? It's not just food and housing, but it can be encouraging, refreshing, serving those strangers who come into our homes. And finally, the eighth one, he says, so that we may work together for the truth. And then this is unity. It's having the perspective that you and I, or you and those of us who work and live overseas, are on the same team and we work together. We're an extension of you, you're an extension of our work, or the base, or the sending group. Okay, now that's a lot of stuff. Now, part of our ministry is a teaching, training, education ministry, and we like to think in terms of how do people remember things When you're teaching, when you walk out of this auditorium, you're not going to remember these eight things at all. In fact, it's very confusing to you right now because I went through them so fast. So, how can I help you remember what these are? Well, we do this through what we call memory hooks. And a memory hook is something, it's either something visual, it's something you can draw on your bulletin, or it's something a little, it's got a little rhyme to it. Or, or some uh, ev- uh, motion that will work. And so I'm going to teach you a little memory hook to help you remember this. Now, this is, this is corny or cheesy. Uh, it's silly. And the sillier it is or the cheesier or cornier it is, the easier it is that you'll remember. It just works that way. If it's too mundane and too common, you won't get it and you'll forget about it. And so I'm going to have you do a little action and say two words. And I'd like everybody to do this. I'll demonstrate, first of all. Very simple thing. And the word is flash. Okay, if you're going to use your hands to demonstrate flash, probably you would do that. Okay, so it's flash. Let's try that. Ready? Flash. Hum. Okay, those are going to be our two actions. Flash. Hum. Now, not everyone is mute, I'm sure. And so... Uh, you're doing the actions very good. So let's try it again. Ready? Hey, very good. All right, one more time. Uh, it's important that you don't just do one or the other. They go together. This is this is just a learning tool. Uh, if you if you practice this for years and years, I don't mean this little thing, but this concept, it'll make sense your fingers, your hands somehow connect with your mouth and you're supposed to do something together. It just works better that way. Okay, ready? So you got to do both. We're going to do it now. FLASH HUM. Okay, what in the world is that? All right, let me work on it for you. Here's what we've got here. It's an acronym. And I want you to figure out what each of these stand for, okay? So first thing that John says about Gaius is that he is what? Okay, so the F is faithful. We got that. The next one, he says, there's an L word. It's not the next one, but it comes up somewhere in there. Which one is that? Love or loving. Okay. Now, what's the A? Action, right. He said you're doing something right. Okay, so action was the next word. Now, what is the S? Not strangers, that was a good choice. That's that's correct, but I'm switching that one. Okay, the other S is what? I think it's sending. Yeah, sending. That's okay. Serve is a very good one. I like that one too, but he just didn't say it that way. Okay, so it's sending. Now, H, there's two H's. One of them is what? Hospitality. What's the other one? Helping. Okay, so I want to say helping first. Sorry, it's just I'm speaking, so it's my choice. And so helping is going to be first... Now we've got hospitality. What's U? Unity. And the M is missionaries, okay? Or the strangers, he calls them. Okay, so now, have you got all those? Can you remember that? This is flash hum. Got it? We're going to do it again. Ready? Flash hum. What is flash hum about? It is how the church can connect with people like me or with your local missions people. We want you to be faithful and loving, active, get engaged. We want you to send people out as co-workers. We need your help, so help us out as we serve. At times we need refreshment. If you can be hospitable for us, that would just be significant to us. And we want unity with you. We want to be connecting so that we're thinking that we're working on the same team together. You're here, we're there. And finally, it's about these missionaries. Okay, you got that? It's flash. Hum. Okay, not very many of you got it there that time. Every time I do that, you've got to say those words. Okay, you ready? It's flash hum. I want to spend a little time. I'd like to spend a half hour, and maybe you'd like it too, just talking, I'm at least going to talk about faithful. And tell you a few stories about this that uh, maybe you don't realize, things that happen with us or to us as missionaries. What do we want you to be faithful at? At least a few things. Faithful in prayer. Faithful to keep your promises with us. And faithful in your walk with Jesus. One of the most discouraging things we hear is when you folks here blow it Walk away from God, get mad at your church, and decide you've had enough. And that hurts us. It's a grief to us. It's a grief to our Lord, of course. Your faithfulness to stand firm, to hang in there, means something to us. Today I want to talk to you about being faithful in prayer, though, and why that is important to us. Uh, It was one of the early years of ministry, uh, of this salt ministry. It was in the early 1990s. I was in north-central China, and I was meeting a lady. Her her English name is Dorcas. Her Chinese name is Jia. Dorcas is from the name in the Book of Acts. Uh, Very active Christian worker, all kinds of connections all over the country. Uh, We just didn't know how extensive this lady was connected. And our first day there, she was a little bit hesitant to work with us foreigners because sometimes we cause problems and get people in trouble. And uh, so Dorcas wanted to know if we really had a lot of prayer backing. And so she looked at me and she says, Are people praying for you? And I knew people were. And I said, I mean, Yes, they are. In fact, they're praying right now. They're praying today and they're praying for this trip. There's hundreds that are praying for me today. They've promised that they would pray for me daily. And so that began a relationship with this lady, Dorcas. And so we went on with our meetings. We had no incidents. There were no uh, disruptions by the police or anything of that nature. And then Dorcas began to show us and teach us what was going on in the church in China. And it completely opened our eyes to a world that we hadn't expected. The wild, expensive growth of the church but it was because, I think, there was a foundation of prayer that began. It was in the same area a few years later. And uh, there was a spy that was in our meetings. We didn't know that at the time. And uh, the second night, that person went home, called up the police, said there were two foreigners uh, at this particular place. You better come and check it out. And so uh, the next morning, while we were there teaching, the police showed up. They arrested us, took our passports, Put us in the police vehicle. We went two hours down to back to the main city. And uh, it was a pretty scary moment for us. And uh, they said, uh, we'll let you stay in your hotel tonight. But tomorrow morning, you two come down to the police station. We'll keep your passports for safekeeping. Thank you. And so you can imagine what kind of a night that was for us. And we said, God, you've got to get your people praying. We need it. And we need help. Help us to know what to say. You've promised that the Spirit would be present and to speak through us, and so we're claiming this now. Help us keep our stories alike so that we don't sound like we're unconnected. Pretty much no sleep that night. Next morning, we go down to the police station. The other guy that was with me, he's a Steve also, um, and so they wanted to see him first. They put me in a little room, and I waited and prayed for three hours while they interviewed him. It wasn't nasty. It was respectful and decent. He did a great job. Three hours were up. I just had no idea how long this was going to take. He comes down to my room and says, okay, they don't really need to see you. Uh, They're taking my story for it. Um, We're getting a hand slap. We're not going to be blacklisted. They're giving our passports back, uh, but we have to go home. Were you praying? There was some time later, I was in the northwest, in northeast in China. It was a dead of winter. I was in a 15-passenger van, and we were about to cross this big river, huge bridge. Uh, It was this same Steve guy with me at that time. Uh, We had about six other Chinese, local Chinese hosts, friends with us in this van, and they picked us up, and they were taking us two hours away in the dead of north. It was just horribly cold, minus 40, minus 30 Fahrenheit, and really no heat in the vehicle. We were all bundled up with caps on, and uh, the Chinese call us foreigners uh, uh, a Gao Gaobiza means big nose. Uh, if you think of your noses, you know, we have a higher bridge. Our nose sticks out a little bit further. Think of your face and a Chinese face, and we definitely have big noses, okay? And uh, so it's important to cover that thing up there, that beak. And so fortunately, it was wintertime, so we had scarves on over our face because if you just look at a gaobidze from the side, you can tell they're a gaobidze. And they're just, their face profile doesn't look right. And the police stopped our van. This is a pretty scary moment again. And so yeah, I was sitting in this van in a seat with the side door right behind me so passengers would enter right immediately behind my seat. To my left across the aisle, next to the other window, was Steve sitting there. And we knew this could be a deadly problem for our friends And if you don't have, in those days, if you didn't have a license or permission to engage with a foreigner, then you could be arrested. The police had arbitrary authority to put you in jail. Up to three years. It was a serious moment. And so uh, we just prayed like crazy and, and said, God, rally the troops. Here we are again. It's another moment. If they're sleeping, wake them up. Get them on their knees. We need these people that we're with, these saints, protected. Watch over them. And so the police came into the van, stood immediately behind me. is was about three inches away from touching me, and I just didn't move. I just sat there and looked straight ahead. Steve did the same thing. So did the other passengers. Fortunately, the policeman decided to take a left turn instead of move to the front of the van and check everyone's IDs. He didn't check anyone's ID, and he saw some stuff at the back that caught his attention. It was a bunch of literature and some boxes with tapes and things, in it wasn't any of our stuff. He wanted to know what that was. He starts plowing through it, asking questions. Gets his questions answered. He steps outside, calls the head guy, uh, Peter, who it was, out to talk to him. They're talking for about five minutes. We had no idea what was going on. Peter comes back into the van, shuts the door. We drive away. Okay, somebody tell me something. Peter said uh, they were doing searches for pornography. Stopping any vehicle that was going across the bridge in case it might have pornography. They saw we had Christian literature, but it wasn't pornography, so they didn't care, and they let us go. God intervened. I think it was 2003, and uh, I just spent... I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm, we got to cut out of here, don't we, in a minute. Um Brief story, real brief. Very difficult living circumstances for three days. I was exhausted. We were teaching a new course. Traveled about two hours back to the main city to catch a flight toward Hong Kong. And one of my co-workers had some things he wanted to say to me, and he attacked. And he stuck the knife in and challenged my integrity, my motivation, my leadership, reasons why I said the things I did. He twisted the knife and it felt bad and he jerked it out and when he was done, he left and I was there to lick my wounds. It was very unfair. It was a complete misrepresentation. I had touched his ego in an unfortunate way and he was mad. I had an appointment that afternoon and and it just went lousy. I went to the airport to catch my flight. I was told my flight is delayed, and so I wouldn't be able to cross the border to catch the train home. I'd have to find a hotel in the border town. It was just a rotten day. Got on the plane. There was no one on the plane, hardly, about 10% full. I sat in a very empty place, I was, and I pray God, thank you that I'm alone. I can just be quiet with you. And then I heard a voice, and it was a woman's voice, and she said, May I sit here? I thought it was her seat number, of all things, and so I said, Sure. She sat down, but she had other things in mind. That wasn't her seat. She was after me. And for three hours, I, this was a very beautiful woman, and for three hours, I sat next to her, listening to her voice, smelling her perfume, and feeling her leaning into me. And I knew I was in deep trouble. God, get your people praying. It's time. I am very weak. And this is all very flattering to me. And that's when it sounds the most flattering is when you're the lowest. And God, this is all kinds of things could be ruined. I'm your son. Please, protect your son. Help me to be strong here. And to resist. And to recognize how ugly this is. Were you praying? Do you pray faithfully for your missionaries? And so the flight landed. I got off the plane and hurried into the men's room to hide. I knew she couldn't come in there. And I waited an extraordinary amount of time and finally thought it was safe to go out and escape. I went to my hotel room and just prayed, God, no phone calls, because a lot of times in China you'll get phone calls uh, from ladies. And so God just helped me to be faithful. And he was. He did. I stood firm in spite of my weakness. But it's because people pray. You need to be praying. If God wakes you up in the middle of the night, pray. It's for a reason. You'll never know why until you get to heaven. How does the church help us and connect with us? It's with flash hum. All of these areas are what you can do to walk with us, to help us, to enable us to stand firm. I pray that Gracie Van will be a flash home congregation.